Hi, and welcome to a brand new episode of The Art of Customer Service brought to you by Digital Compact. As you've already heard in the last episode, this format is now in English, thus the same great content as last year, the same topics around customer service, but just a new language. So let's get going. My name is Eric van Muller. I'm your host on this show, former canoeing world champion, father of three, and founder of SolveMate, a leading platform for customer service automation. On The Art of Customer Service, I talk to experts about what makes good customer service, which tools and practices are relevant, which new technologies are available in, customer, in the customer service area, and many other exciting topics around great service experience. So today's episode is about customer obsession and how feedback can drive your business. We will be talking about customer centricity and how to ingrain customer centricity into the DNA of not only the customer service team, but the whole organization about how bad reviews are essential and how to build a feedback routine in your organization and many more exciting topics. For this purpose, I have with me today Sophia Kuhl, Managing Director of HHA Digital Space, the early stage tech incubator from HHL Leipzig Graduate School of Management. Great to have you on the show today, Sylvia. Welcome. Hi, Eric. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So let's start with a quick introduction of yourself. Who are you and what is HHL Digital Space? Hi, yeah, my name is Sophia. I'm the managing director of HHL Digital Space. So we are an early stage tech incubator. We help startups with their business idea that is quite early on to bring this to market. And we do this by validating their problem solution fit and have a very structured 12 weeks program. This is free of charge. And yeah, basically everybody can apply. This is not just for HHL students, but for everybody with a business idea. Previously, I was working in various tech companies, mainly in, in sales jobs, um, but more focusing on solution sales. I have never worked in the customer service department, but I have quite some, some stories to tell you. And yeah, I'm happy to be here with you today. So Sophia is very humble. Um, she has worked at IBM before uh, for multiple years and at Amazon. So you maybe want to quickly elaborate on your past. Uh, what have you brought uh, to your current state? Yeah, it's quite interesting because I started off with a marketing degree, which is not the traditional yeah, starting point actually for a career in tech. But I got intrigued quite early uh, during my studies already seeing that the b2b marketing world was more something i was interested in and then i did my internships there and somehow i i got stuck uh, with tech companies and yeah ibm was just the starting point back then cloud technology was still early on in the market and then yeah i had the chance after a little encounter with a logistics company where i immersed myself more into the startup world then to join the the market leader in cloud computing uh, amazon web services and they're fully yeah leverage and experience this uh, customer obsession culture that yeah still um, inspires me and it was a very very good experience great so someone who has a first-hand experience on, you know, uh, Amazon is well known for um, their customer centricity. What does it mean? So let's start with this directly. What does customer centricity mean for you? It means you have to put the customer first, even if that means some other things that you consider important have to be sacrificed sometimes. And it's hard because coming from, from a sales job, of course, you're always incentivized on you have to make that deal. You have to make sure uh, the money comes in. And of course, that's nothing you should 
neglect as a business person. I mean, of course, there should always be a purpose on the business side related to all your actions. But being customer obsessed or customer centered also means you do not do business by any means. But you have to make sure that in the long run, the customer is satisfied and you can become more successful if your customers are successful. And I think this is a very, yeah, sometimes even painful experience if, if you have to make sure that it's not, not just the, the short-term win, but also the long-term experience that is just beneficial for your customer. I find it interesting that like in the first three minutes of this podcast, you're talking about long-term orientation uh, because I can imagine in different departments of a company, there sometimes might be different incentives. Maybe developers want to ship great features Just salespeople want to get more commission, customer service agents just don't want to talk to that annoying client anymore, um, just kind of to, to name negative examples. Um, what does long-term mean? So is long-term one year? Is long-term the customer lifetime value? What does long-term orientation mean for you? Yeah, very good question. Having worked with a lot of startups, of course, their understanding of long-term is probably a year or until the next funding round. So it can be <laughs> just a time window of two or three years. But I think it's it's not that important how long the time span is, as long as you think of you want to have your, your customer relationship end-to-end. -end. And also having in mind, sometimes you might have to end a customer relationship. But just as long as you think this should be your customer, you want to make them happy and you want to be their, their sparings partner and their trusted advisor and not just somebody who gets paid by them and can be easily exchanged as well. That's good to hear. In our um, talk prior recording this episode, we talked about end-to-end -end customer success. What does it mean? Can you explain that? Yes. So I told you I have worked in an account management roles or in, in sales management roles. So that means you are at the core front of, of the customer. You're talking to them. You help them develop their solutions. And then you also sell um, services or, or goods to them. I have seen in many companies that they came up with a new department called the customer success department, which I personally found quite interesting. But I was always wondering, should customer success be decoupled from, from other functions in the company? I mean, shouldn't customer success be ingrained in, in everything that you do from a early on prospecting and sales perspective, then moving to, to integration when you have tech people involved, and then finally delivering great service and having customer support involved then as well. So I'm convinced that Customer success is something that the entire company should have in their DNA because it can be quite painful if you have a salesperson that is just like, yeah, let's just get the deal signed and then whatever happens, happens. And then the next department has to deal with sort of overselling or explaining wrong features or making promises that then can hardly be delivered. So really make sure that this is a team effort and not just a team that is called customer success department which is um, you know there is a lot of names and conventions that are like definitions because definitions make communication more clear so we have customer support we have customer success and we have customer experience or like the cx department and um, in my definition uh, please correct me like customer support or customer service is more meant for one to many call centers or like typical customer service high volumes 
in the more B2B world, you don't want to call it customer service, but more customer success because it's more about like a long-term relationship or key account management is a synonym, at least in my world, for customer success. And then I have seen uh, companies, mostly bigger companies, having like a customer experience department or like a overarching function that is like from sales to marketing to customer success and or customer service to product and to all other functions. So would you agree to that definition? And um, as a second question, do you think it makes sense to have such a centralized customer experience department or customer experience team? I told you in the beginning, I have a marketing background and it sounds to me that all the definitions tie into the, the core principle of marketing. So Philip Kotler says, marketing is creating value for your customer and if you if you have this definition in mind and don't think of marketing like yeah performance marketing content marketing it can be called just the marketing department that is then yeah spanning across the different functions i, I have not seen a single company where this works like this so marketing is always a separate department next to sales and then there's customer service but why is that actually i wonder because it's so fundamental you get the things right and don't yeah incentivize also people on, on on just pure definitions so i would love to see a company where where marketing is just a holistic approach and then you can actually tell sales people like hey this is our target that we want to achieve why don't you just help us there but of course practically it's way different i mean a salesperson might need different skills than a marketing person than a customer service person but i think with proper management you can at least make sure that they understand each other and that they're not working against each other because i have seen this then as well and people say like oh yeah that's just customer service job you know i don't want to i don't want to touch it and if i as a salesperson do my job right i can actually minimize the amount of, of sales or of, of calls then in the customer service department that can be very, very harmful even. So what skill set do I need to have a customer service mentality? Yeah, you brought up something in the beginning. I think humbleness is, is very helpful if you don't consider yourself more important than the greater good of your organization. So if you can understand what is what is the vision and the purpose of your company and then also of your customer. It's it's good if you have both sides, not just for your company, but also for your customer. Some sort of empathy for sure. But also a data-driven approach. That's something I have appreciated a lot at Amazon. There's nothing being done without data. And if you're, let's say, too soft or you're like, ah, I want to win every customer and it's so important to keep them. But if it's not beneficial or if, if there's no economics behind it that, that give you the reason to keep that customer, you should honestly consider if, if that's a good investment then for you from a business perspective. That is something that every company should decide with every, any client. It's not about getting every new client. It's about making clients happy, which also entails saying no. You, you said about like it should be deeply ingrained in the DNA of a company. You are leading, you're the managing director of HHA Digital Space, which is um, a tech incubator for like to, as you said, in a 12 weeks program to kind of have an idea and bring it to market with a minimum viable product. I would assume, I mean, that's why you're on the show, that you're teaching customer centricity to just go out to the market, talk to clients, validate the idea, because it's about talking to as much people as possible to get conviction. That's, of course, like, first of all, is that true? Do you think that's the only important thing? Customer centricity, yes, it is absolutely built in 
in our program. And I think there's no way around it. Of course, you can start from the product and be like, I'm, I'm so convinced this is a great product and now I'm going to go out and fight, find customers for this. I have never seen this really working. I mean, maybe it's just a lucky shot and you're so brilliant inventor and can get people that, that buy the product firsthand without ever having talked to them. But we like to do it the other way around, really first going into the market, talking to potential customers, getting their feedback, getting their yeah ideas or actually validating the problem before the product is built. Otherwise, you just do a lot of extra loops and, and invest resources into something that maybe nobody wants to pay for. And here comes the crux. I think that's very clear for young startups because you have nothing. You can only talk to clients. You need to be centric and learn from clients. But maybe taking this to your time from Amazon Web Services, um, where the, this was a big company that were the market leaders in cloud technology, which means you have validated the idea. Like it's a bit of a, you know, asking people what they want while selling what you know is going to work. How did you experience that in your day-to-day -day life? I think here the humble approach kicks in one more time. If you think you're great and you've done the best work in the world, it's super dangerous because then you're kind of cut off from the market and you're not learning anymore. So even big corporations and customer-centered organizations can stay close to their customers and they will have to implement feedback loops that even if their product is, is considered great at, at some point, they will have to stay close. Otherwise, things happen like uh, Nokia in the, in the smartphone uh, world uh, when, when it all started kicking off. I mean, they... they had a great product, but they just lost track with their core customer base. And we're Nokia? Was there a company called Nokia once? <laughs> yeah, for the, for the elderly people. <laughs> I still co consider myself. Yeah, I think I even had Nokia. I'm just kidding. I also had my Nokia, uh, you know, this phone with a two-colored um, with the two-colored um, screen that we could play snake on it and we were typing a b and c on on number two and then you were like typing super fast <laughs> to get like messages done and today i think it's only 15 years later where my son he just turned 11 uh, he just turned 12 like he's dictating whatsapp messages to an ai that kind of transcribes what he just said so um, i'm just of course kidding but of course nokia was like They were the market leaders and they failed to see this innovation. And I think they still came back. So, I mean, it's, it's possible to, to, to find your place then in the market with a, with a different offering. But the point I want to make is just because you're uh, successful at, at a certain point shouldn't keep you from staying close and understanding what would really yeah, eats your customer, what their problem is. And it's also good for, for upselling purposes if, if you see like, okay, they have started using this product or service. Why don't we just take it a step further and see what else they, they would need to make this a full-blown experience? Because we all know from research, if you increase your footprint with an existing customer and keep that customer, even if they are unsatisfied, it's so much more helpful to make them happy again and to keep them because that kind of it's like in real world relationships, it brings you closer. And uh, it's like a friendship where you're like, okay, whatever happens, I will trust you again. But not to lose this valuable customer for you rather than investing in acquiring more and more and more customers where you don't know where this is leading and if they trust you in the long run. That's great. Talking about trustful relationships and we all know that building up trust is very hard and making trust go away is very easy. You just 
touched upon feedbacks. And um, we also wanted to touch about feedbacks and uh, feedback cycles. So talking about like there is good and good and bad feedback, maybe we start with like the negative ones and talk about why are bad reviews essential for your business? Somebody has to tell you, right? And if, if you can't figure it out yourself and, and you get this feedback, even if it hurts or uh, if it leads to you have to change something in the early stage startup world, kill the darling sometimes and, and be like, okay, maybe that was just a wrong assumption and we, we have to go in a different direction. Yeah, it can save you a lot of money, honestly. And so this can be then further invested in, in things that really help your, your customers grow and, and be successful. Negative feedback. Yeah, being a German myself, I know we have a bit of a an issue here. So we we are not that much used to neutral feedback i would say so when i started working in american companies i was always so surprised or even yeah just uplifted that that feedback is something that is all around and it's it's good on the positive and negative side in, in germany i think people are more like okay if you are asked for feedback you're asked for the negative things and then they are like complaining and use this as a funnel to uh, just only tell you the negative things But this is changing now. I, I think the new generation... If I would be sarcastic, I would say, um, if I look on the current political and ec economic situation, <laughs> um, there is good things about German mentality and about American mentality. Absolutely. And I'm not th saying like one thing is good or the, the other thing is, is better. It's, it's just an observation from my side that I, at least for me personally, changed my, my perspective on feedback and was more like... You have to actively ask for it. So if you wait for it to happen, most likely it's going to be negative feedback then. But if you're like encouraging your customers to be like, hey, this is an open discussion. You can tell me whatever um, is, is not so good in, in your perspective. And then they will also luckily tell you tell you some some good things about your product maybe. So make this a process and not just a, a one-way one communication because then it can be very... Yeah, nasty sometimes. That's a very good. Um, that's a very good insight. I have seen one of the best uh, customers on our side. They are actively implementing the CSAT ratings, and they are like after every customer service contact, actively asking for feedback. And um, in an ideal world, if someone gives you only a one out of a five star rating, you might want to just give that customer a call, and you want to ask, hey, why did you give us a one star? Um, or if they give you a five star, you might also want to call them and say, why are you happy? Um, how would you say, because that's like a, it's again a long-term investment, how would you say how much percentage of people you need to actively ask and what frequency, what's your thinking about that? It really depends on your product or service. Like how many touch points are you expecting with your customers in the future? I mean, if it's a one-time sale, most likely chasing that customer for 10 times more is probably uh, not such a good investment. But if you expect this customer, for example, in the software world, they're purchasing a license and they will maybe even get a direct person from, from your customer success team or account management team to talk to, then it's absolutely important that they have insights into into the the feedbacks and also the, the tickets when they complain at customer service. Otherwise, if they don't know, they might run into issues that they could handle better and more proactively um, yeah, address certain issues that came up in the past. 
Frequency-wise, I mean, we all know we're kind of bombarded with uh, messages and calls for feedback. Whenever I go online shopping, I'm like, oh, really, another survey? And we're kind of yeah off at, at a certain point. So, but if it's a high engagement product, I mean, if, if this is a software that helps me to grow my business, of course, I will spend some time to to get to know who are the people, who's the team, what can we do uh, to, to grow better together. Maybe a quarterly touch point is not too much and, and good to handle for everybody. So probably the amount of time you spend at feedback is directly correlated to the amount of people spending with your product or service in their day-to-day -day life. So if you have like a high-touch B2B software and 20% of my job is maintaining a certain software or training a chatbot and like it's like it's like a core thing that I use, then of course I'm happy to maybe use 10% of my time or 5% to kind of give feedback and improve because it's a core thing. However, if it's a scooter company that just gives me a ride on demand in my town and I'm basically, I have a zero attention span to any defects and I just want to get from A to B and I don't want to spend any time with the product. I just want to like use it, which is like a very low touch product, um, I probably have even less um, time to give feedback and maybe even a five-star rating after every uh, ride, which takes two seconds, can get annoying, which ultimately leads to the question of if you, or if a company that is big has thousands or 10,000 or in a B2C world, millions of clients, um, how do you get this one-to-one -one feedback where one person is writing something or saying something to a person to aggregate that, to kind of condense it to something, to some strategic or learning. Absolutely right. So I'm coming more from the B2B world and my interactions with customers were deep enough so you could spend time in one-on-one -on -one meetings. But totally get the point that in the B2C world, you cannot spend like 30 minutes on the phone with somebody who just spends two euros on your app. But there you can give them rooms for yeah leaving feedback and maybe there's even some some key users that you identify that you want to give some perks like a free ride if they if they leave certain feedback so you can incentivize this and then of course aggregate and we all know like there's beautiful ai mechanisms out there so you don't have to have a human beings uh, scanning through all the feedback and maybe getting some sentiment analysis how many angry customers do i have how many happy customers do i have so not just being old school people, business oriented, but just use the means of technology that are out there because that's just much, much better in, in terms of efficiency. And, you know, I'm a big fan of efficiency, so don't, don't spend your time uh, typing or reading customer feedback one by one with human beings if it could be automated somehow. And that's pretty obvious, especially if you talk about customer service automation, which is, you know, my home turf. Uh, we are also clustering the customer feedback to kind of the CSET ratings um, to give that, um, to summarize that. Um, that's very important, but it's also important to kind of take the right um, strategic insights uh, from that. And how would you say management is involved in, you know, taking one-to-one -one end consumer feedback and then taking decisions? Um, how would you see that relationship and that process? I think the best leaders in the world are the ones who are still willing to spend time with customers and hear their feedback. And I can speak for many great companies I had the chance to work with that they're yeah, just 
making use of their time to to make sure they're not losing track with the market one example we had uh, in, in our first batch in the incubator the ceo of jimdo and they do like the, the website uh, builder system and he said especially in times of, of corona where their key customers so like really small entrepreneurs lost their businesses and they they had to think again how they can address the market and he spends like time with at least five to ten customers a week if I recall correctly and I mean he has 200 people to manage right now so it was really impressive for me how you even as a senior leader can make time for for those people and he said like he, he got inspired by other leaders that had the same approach and it helped him so much to take the right decisions other than just relying on what your direct reports tell you what the real issue is but i think it doesn't replace like really diving deep going out in the field and talking to your customers if possible yeah um, i recall a great podcast episode from the reed hoffman series masters of scale which was having this notion of um, being the polar bear and the microbes so the polar bear is like the bird's eye perspective. He's walking around looking for um, some seals to eat. And then kind of as a, as a CEO, you, you need to be the polar bear and just look for the next strategic thing. But also you need to be the microbe that kind of, you know, is in the ocean and uh, like plankton kind of is the deepest, smallest, minimal level that you need to deep dive. And kind of oscillating between those views is probably one of the leadership skills. But, but I would assume that if you would plot all leaders of the world onto that continuum that most think they should be more the polar bear and the least ones are really spending time with clients it only shows results if you give it a try and i cannot judge for each and everybody but even for me i mean my team is up to 10 people right now and so i mean i still have a chance and we have like eight to ten startup teams per per batch i could easily just outsource like the interaction with the startup teams and be like okay i have to more like look on the external side talk to uh, partners and, and and media and so on but i really enjoy like the direct interactions with the startup teams with the future leaders because it helps me so much to do than the the other parts of my job like even administrative stuff if you have to assign budget and so on or be like okay the next intern we're gonna hire like what is the, the core uh, activity they should be doing and without the direct communication with the startup teams which i consider our customers i mean they're not paying for the program because we're funded by by federal funds but still if if they enjoy the program and if they see this as a value for for their leadership and an entrepreneurship development for us that's going to be the, the main currency we're, we're looking for and yeah i don't want to lose this track with the with the teams even if it can be a, yeah, a second priority quite easily i would agree um, we also had what we call customer service shadowing so we were with a whole company going like in teams two customer service teams that are clients of us and we were spent half a day in the day-to-day -day work of how clients use our product and this is a very enlightening experience i can only um, share this that this is worth it it looks like a waste of time but it is not because it's strategic insight on the microbe level not only on the polar bear level and what i want to add here is like as a leader if you see like the great job your customer service teams are doing it helps you to to better understand and maybe channel information sometimes uh, for me that was quite yeah insightful when i when i saw like 
how great they are and and what we then as as customer facing people could do better to to improve this holistic experience rather than being like oh yeah let's just outsource this customer service and whatever happens happens i think that is very very critical to to appreciate the work of your colleagues as well and to to see synergies that you could leverage from this talking about feedback um i'm sometimes uh, thinking of you know in ages of social media um some people might just rant about a company in a negative way but what you ideally want is to kind of not have a brand reputation where people might the negative people are talking in social media, which is amplifying itself. But you want to bring those to a more one-to-one controlled environment. What are your thoughts on that? With means of technology, I think it's possible to to identify those who had a negative experience. And if it happens, I think you shouldn't just delete uh, the the comments but actively and deleting comments is probably the worst thing you can do <laughs> i agree yeah so i mean if if it happens as a company you just have the guts and go out there and be like okay i understand you're unhappy now what can we do maybe you want to talk to yeah me on the phone or whatever but just take it very seriously in the future what can you do to prevent this if you have a product that is very engaging so people might get emotional in the, in the one direction or in the other direction so on the other hand you can also invest like these emotions to to make people tell great things about your your product or service and and use this as a fan base so you have like advocates out there who will <laughs> go into the fights for for your product or service and it doesn't have to be a corporate only uh, conversation But can you maybe give an example of a product where this has happened, um, where a negative feedback really yeah, decreased? So if I think, for example, of a pizza delivery like Domino's or something and somebody says like, hey, there was not enough salami on, on my uh, piece of pizza, social media teams can get quite creative and, and just make... I was thinking about saying, you know, uh, you can never have enough salami. Um, I just sent you a package of one kilogram of salami to your home. So when you next order at Domino's, um, you can put as much salami on top as you want. Exactly. So really turning this into a chance for you to deliver an even greater service rather than if somebody just says like, yeah, everything was all right. Thanks. Bye. Uh, there's no chance for you to to like piggyback this and, and turn this into a message for you. So I think, yeah, with a bit of um, humor and, and creativity, you can even use the, the negative pieces of feedback and take them seriously, uh, but make sure it's it's not doing harm to your reputation. I remember one example, which I think is already seven years ago, um, where I was leading an e-commerce company and someone was ordering new running shoes for their small son um, for the birthday. And we couldn't deliver because there was a technical glitch for whatever reason, the package was lost. And um, they called customers and said, hey, tomorrow is the birthday of my son. I just have promised him he that's super important, got very emotional. And um, what our customer service manager did is they went to a different store, like a competitor, and they ordered exactly that shoe in that size with premium delivery, free of charge for the client. And the client afterwards, who was first of all ranting on social media, and then like we got to call him on the phone, that client left the most positive comment ever, um, which is probably more worth and um, uh, than anything. But it takes some, you know, it takes customer centricity. It takes, as you said, a bit of humbleness to say, I'm sorry, That was not the right thing. And 
I value your emotions. I value you as a client. So let me try to fix it. And I think it's also a great example of then leadership. I mean, most likely the CEO was was okay that this was done, right? You, you could imagine a scenario where you're like, hey, this is not your core job. Why aren't you just uh, doing uh, the things you're supposed to do? But customer obsession also means like really then rather sacrificing some, some parts of your core job and spending two hours on this one client because it's so essential. Um, but the impact of, of this for your company is, is like so great that you're like, just use your time. You don't have to ask like 10 managers before if that's okay, if it's in line with the processes and, and, and so on. And I can totally agree that is something that I have seen quite frequently um, at Amazon happening as well. So people just use their brains how, how they can make customers happy and there were not so many barriers for them to, to just proceed and, and make customers happy. That's I think one of those um, things like if you if you say like well I'm customer centric I like my clients I think every organization would say of course they like their clients but being customer obsessed which is like the core of this episode um, obsession is something typically negative. I mean, you have an obsession of washing your hands 40 times a day. You have an obsession of, I don't know, playing video games. You have an obsession of Netflix, which you just spend 10 hours a day watching. So an obsession is typically something negative. And I would say it can also turn negative on a company side. But when you think about it as centricity, you will probably, like, you're not going to get as far as if you think about its obsession. And nobody is obsessed of, on, on clients, but thinking it, it should be an obsession, you kind of sometimes go the extra mile, which is probably exactly the right balance, um, as I said, with the true example or uh, with the dominoes. And more even some, some colleagues at, uh, at Soulmate, uh, we send some, some clients uh, chocolate because chocolate is just always awesome. If, you, if things go wrong and someone is unhappy, just send him like a nice package of fun chocolate that they can share with their colleagues to their workplace as at the temple, we're still working in workplaces um, and not at home. Um, I think customer obsession is a strong negative word if you really do it like this, but it's like tending, tilting towards the right direction. And I can also add to this, I mean, customer obsession is one of the core principles that Amazon everywhere in all their branches applies, but this is do not... Do they the, use the word obsession though? Yes, yes. And there's, yes, there's, there's no way around it. You have to be customer obsessed. And I, I think it's on purpose that you're like, it is something that could... Yeah, even be painful for yourself that you're like, oh my God, now I have extra work to do for this one customer. So that's that's intentional. But what I wanted to say is it's not the only thing they focus on because if you're purely customer obsessed, you can lose track and just spend a lot of money on chocolate or shoes from competitors and, and not make uh, money or uh, do other stuff that is important for your business. So they have leadership principles. Everybody can, can Google on, on their website and they are open for everyone. And I can also recommend, and I'm doing this too, to all the startups, read through them. You might not agree with everything. There's something like frugality. That means uh, you have to be very yeah economical with the Yeah. I love the frugality thing. Frugality is such a such a nice word in English because it says you can spend what's necessary to spend, but don't overspend. So buy sparkling wine, but don't buy this super expensive champagne if you get a new client or whatever. Like we also have the frugality principle deeply ingrained in our culture. 
And it helps you to, to stay humble, even if you're successful and you're like, of course, we could spend like a nice holiday for everybody. But we are not doing this because we want to spend the money to decrease the prices for our customers. And so if they see us on social media drinking like bottles of champagne, they might be like, what is what is wrong with that company? And so, yeah, frugality is one thing or and trust, learn and be curious. And so these leadership principles are like so deeply ingrained. Plus customer obsession, that's like the, the core um, leadership principle, but it's not isolated. So they all have to play together and everybody has to balance them out because sometimes there is a, a thing. Uh, I write a lot. Um, yeah, means like you have to have good instincts, but then you have to be uh, earning trust sometimes as well. And be like, okay, sorry, I was wrong. Um, I meant to be right, but this was just not the way it should be. And so this this contradiction, I think, is very good to also um, balance this out and not just be like, hey, there's one way to go, just go it and don't look left and right. And customer obsession is a great thing to do, but it shouldn't be the only thing you're doing, to be honest. <laughs> that was a great ending word, um, saying that customer obsession is important, but not the only thing you should do. It should be deeply ingrained in the company's culture and the company's leadership in every single apartment and in every, every breath you have with clients and also combining that with um, feedback, feedback culture, being humble. I think humble is one word that I think is kind of tied to customer obsession because you want to know what the client wants. So be customer obsessed, be humble. And as Steve Jobs would have said, um, stay foolish, stay humble. <laughs> if I might, uh, I, I wanted to if I that. might change, uh, <laughs> change that quote from him. Um, that was Sophia Kuhl, um, Managing Director of HHL Digital Space, the early stage tech incubator from HHL Leipzig Graduate School of Management. And thanks for that talk. Thanks, Eric. It's been a pleasure.